are listening to Keep the Main Thing, the Main Thing podcast. To learn more, visit thepineschurch.com. I have a couple more announcements I want to give you. I almost uh, forgot that immediately after service, if you would like to sign up for a small group, a small groups are going live, and I'd highly encourage you to move beyond the Sunday morning experience um, into gathering together outside during the week. Um, we have several small groups that are available, and we have a sign-up sheet outside. We also have it on our website. Remember, I always share this, but in the book of Acts, Bible says when the apostles dedicated themselves to the studying of God's word, check, prayer, check, and the breaking of bread, God multiplied unto their number. Sometimes the breaking of bread is the hardest thing for Christians to do, okay? But it's the thing that we need to lean into. Jesus modeled that better than anyone. And you know what? We're actually going to be talking about community today. This is something that's near and dear to our heart, right, babe? Authentic community, and I'm going to let Jess speak to the authentic community part. But I have one more announcement before we dive into uh, the message, and then I'm actually going to pray um, again. But the, hold on one second. This Saturday, everybody say this Saturday. Saturday. Starting at 1 p.m. all the way to 6 p.m., that's right, you heard me right, for five straight hours, we're going to have worship uh, from ten different churches at Jesus Reigns Church. It's in Knowlton Park, Ellsworth. Jesus Reigns is the name of the uh, conference, and so we have a lot of our team members that are going to be there along with nine other churches, and so this is an opportunity for us to put into practice what we preach all the time, that where there is unity, God commands His blessing, and so it's this Saturday. If you have some questions about that, um, you can go to Guest Central, and our man Brandon uh, is going to be there, and he'll, he will be able to give you the deets, as the young people say, on that, so you can spend, and you can come in and out as you please. Maybe you only have an hour, you can run in there, get filled up, and go for your day. So, we're going to be talking about unity today, um, and we're going to be doing a series on unity. We're calling it Wild Unity, um, and I'm going to open up, and then I'll kick it over to Jess, too. But um, I came across this quote I was reading. We knew that we were going to be talking about the body of Christ. We knew that we were going to talk, be talking about unity. And uh, as you've heard us share many, many different times, when Jess and I came out here, um, something that was near and dear to our heart was authentic community. What is authentic community? It's where you don't have to project an image. It's where you don't have to pretend like you have everything figured out. It's where you can be open and honest, right? and you can be real about what you're struggling with. I believe this is an epidemic in the church because people hide, and what you heal, God can't, and what you conceal, God can't heal, right? What you hide from God, you're not giving him the opportunity, just like if you were to go into a doctor, and you knew that your arm was bothering you, but you hid it from him and said that it was fine, then the doctor can't offer wisdom and counsel on how to fix your arm, and I think often we try to pretend like some people, some of us that go to the doctor's office, like that everything's fine when it's actually not. And when we hide, we're actually playing into the enemy's hand because his plan is to isolate you away from the herd or away from the, your community so that he can have you as meat. And so we want to make sure that we're meeting together. But I came across this quote from Rainer Wynn and it said this, a wild unity had crept into our veins and our future was defined by it. And I just loved that juxtaposition, wild unity, because unity, you think of, you know, conformity in the wild, you think everything is, you know, spread out. 
but I love those two words. And in the, in the idea of unity, um, this is such a powerful concept that even if you go in the Bible, in the very beginning in Genesis 11, this is the Tower of Babel, and God looked down, and these men and women had come together, they had one common goal, they had one common vision, and God came down to look what they were doing, and they were trying to build a tower all the way to heaven. And these are God's words. These aren't the words of a prophet. These are the words of God himself. And he said in Genesis 11:6, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language. And this is the only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Everybody say nothing. nothing. This is God's words to a group of people that weren't godly people, but were unified. And God is looking down on them saying, because they are of one mind and one spirit and one heart and one vision, there's nothing that they can't do. So this is a principle that the church must Get. We must learn, as Dr. Martin Luther King said, learn to live together as brothers and sisters or die alone as fools. Is there anything you want to say on that Tower of Babel? Um, just that in Psalms 133, it's a place where he, uh, it says that God commands his blessing. So when there's unity, God commands his blessing. So. We want to be where God commands his blessing. And so the thing about unity it's interesting. You could be the most charismatic leader. You could have the most uh, rock-solid vision, but you can't make people unified. This is speaking of a unity of the heart. It's an individual choice. And what the Bible and Scripture is saying is that when you get a room of individuals that unite behind a vision, there is nothing that is impossible to him, them. That is how strong, and, and the Lord says that he will command his blessing on you, but it's an individual choice. I must choose to unify behind that vision. I can withhold my heart and not unify behind the vision, causing division, okay? And I think often in the church we treat unity as like just another thing. Yeah, yeah, I know we're supposed to unify. But, um, but if you look at the life of Jesus, it was really a big deal to him, right? And in John 17, during some of the final moments of his life, when he was with his disciples, he prayed for unity. And he, he asked that it would reveal God's glory to the world. And he didn't just pray this for his disciples. He prayed this for the body of Christ all the way down to you and to me. And he says in John 13 that they're going to know that you're a son or daughter of God by the way that you love one another. That is where we show um, what it means to be otherworldly. That's, that's where we show what it means to be a citizen of heaven, the way that we love one another. And so we cannot treat unity as just another thing. Our unity, actually our bond, the way that we love one another, um, is a witness to others. And, and I've said this many times that often our lives right, are the only Bibles that people are going to read. So, you better believe when the world is looking at everything, you know, being divided, they're, they're looking at the church and they're saying, well, you're really no different than us. You, you do everything we do, you say everything we say, you watch everything we watch. If that's true, 
which in many cases it is, we've done a poor job of being ambassadors of Christ. And so when you see things, um, when, when you're unified, you see things um, and you endure things that you wouldn't normally see or endure. So the goal has to be more important than the role, right? And I think Paul does the best job of illustrating this in 1 Corinthians 12. And this is really where we're going to read through this and kind of camp out for the rest of the time. And I know that Jess has a lot of things he wants to share on this. But I think sometimes we've heard scripture so much that it just becomes rote. It becomes routine. And you're like, yeah, 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 I know that, right? But how many of you know there's a difference between knowing something and living in something? Do you know that? I know that if I work on my abs every single day and I cut pasta out of my diet, that I can have a six-pack. But I'm not currently living in that reality, right? Because I'm Italian and I love pasta. It's just not in the cards for me, man. So, but there's a difference between knowing and living. And so when you hear these scriptures, I want you to hear them with fresh ears. Jesus said, have ears to hear. And ask yourself the question, am I living? I know that, but am I living in that? And so, did you want to read this, or you want me to go ahead and read this? Okay, I got it pulled up. Ready? And we have it up on the screen so you can read along with us, okay? The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews and some are Gentiles. Some are slaves and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body, by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where He wants it. As young people say, I'm going to let that one breathe for a minute. God has put each part just where He wants it. How strange a body would it be if we only had one part? Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we close with the greatest care. So. We carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, where the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Wow. 
there's a lot there. So I'm gonna let you kind of springboard into some of that. Yeah, I just, that's one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, just because I, there have been times in my life where I've disqualified myself, um, case in point for the role that I'm in now, where I'm like, I don't wanna be up on stage, I don't really love this. Are you sure that I should be doing this? Like, I don't really feel like God put me in the right spot. Like, I don't think I have all the giftings and the talents and the abilities. And then there have been times in my life where I've allowed other people to disqualify me. Well, they're loud. They talk louder than me. They talk over me. They don't value me. And so I'm just going to be That's quiet. That's not a personal shot, right? <laughs> so, you know, and I, I feel like then there's been those times where I've pulled back because yep. I felt like, people aren't looking at me the way that I should be. But ultimately, I love this because it's such an encouragement that we all have a place in the body and Christ is the head and he's the vine, we're the branches. You know, um, in the same way that, um, that, are, that they're speaking right here. And in um, Ephesians 4, it talks about the same idea, um, just talking about walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain this, the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace there's one body one spirit and you were called called to the one hope that belongs to your call the lord one faith one baptism one god and the father of all who is over all and through all and grace was given to each of us according to the measure of christ's gift and and that's such a just a encouraging verse for me when you think about you know well, I don't have the giftings or the talents or the abilities that like God's placed them in you, and he's going to give you grace to the measure of what he's called you to. Um, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And I think sometimes in church, it's like we, we're like in a pyramid, and we put the pastor at the top, and everyone else is like, you know, you just kind of show up and, you know, yeah, just receive. I, I know I do on Sunday. Sometimes I keep my feet up and... Just kind of talk during the message. Talk during the message. <laughs> so, you know, that we all have a role to play. That this will not function well if all of us aren't doing our part. And that doesn't mean that, you know, that you're necessarily up on stage, but that you're you're volunteering, that you're making a meal for your neighbor, that you're, you know, we, we will not be healthy. And I think that in America or in the church, we've kind of built the system on like, the pastor's at the top and I don't have a role to play and I think and then we cast stones when the pastor falls and it's like we're one per it's not good for one person to shoulder the weight of it all and we're Amen. all called to be part of the body that is good that is super good and I love what you what you highlighted like um, and what Paul was highlighting is there's there's parts of the body that are unseen that are at, actually worthy of more honor and, you know, sometimes we give honor and we give applause to the parts that we can see. Okay, one of the, th I, I've shared this before, but I'll go ahead and share it again. It's like, when I, when I first met Jess, one of the things that I didn't notice were her legs. Like, she has good legs, man. I'm a guy. I noticed her legs. They were good legs. It got my attention. It's one of the parts of her body. Okay? And it got my attention. But I've never celebrated Jess's liver. I've never celebrated Jess's liver and go, man, I am so attracted to Jess's liver. Like, hey, have you seen my wife's liver? Like, it's awesome. Okay? I've never once complimented her liver. But you know what? She can live without her legs. She can't live without her liver. Come on. 
And so there are parts of the body that are not seen, maybe in, on the worship team or the, are not seen greeter, but they are actually worthy of more honor and they're actually essential if the church is going to function. We all play a role, we are all parts, and God made us those parts. And it's foolish if you're a liver to want to be the mouth because you're never going to be the mouth and comparison is a thief of joy, so if you constantly look at the mouth and wish that you were a mouth and dress yourself up like a mouth, and I know we live in a society that you know, wants to be something other than what we are, but God made you, you're fearfully and wonderfully made, and your life was meant to shine a unique facet of God's righteousness and glory that, quite frankly, no one that's ever walked the earth will be able to shine the way that you can shine it. So that's a trap. In, in 18 times, Jess, Paul highlights the body. Why are you touching <laughs> 18 times. Well, I was kind of giving you, like, giving you the opportunity to come in there, but 18 times he talks about that we're all connected. So he's really trying to drill this point home that um, he's basically trying to say that in order for us to be what God wants us to be and who God wants us to be, we have to be connected. We need each other. You can't be who God created you to be without those people around you in your sphere of influence. You cannot, because we are one um, body. Is there anything else you wanted to share on that? No? Okay. And I just wanted, I wanted to share some statistics. We have some, like, some, some real-time stats, because we have a body, right? And we have all these different parts, and we never really take the time to think about all the different parts of our body functioning all at the same time. We just go about living our life, and we just forget that you know our heart is doing something, our lungs are doing something, our liver is doing something, our spleen. Does, does our spleen do anything? You can live without a spleen? What's the one thing you can live without? Like appendix. 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 The appendix. You can live without an appendix. Although I'm sure there's some kind of reason that it's there. But anyway, I came across this is science. Okay, so I believe in science. The, the body, the body's daily results. So I just kind of wanted to give you this as a picture of what's happening in your body almost every single day. Okay, this is like a, um, an average of the average adult. Okay, so you might have higher stats in some of these areas and you may have lower stats. But I'm just going to go ahead and read through these. Your heart beats um, 103,689 times. Okay. Your, your, look, how, look how much your blood travels, 168 million. Okay, your, your, you breathe. Uh, 23,040 times. You inhale 438 cubic feet of air. You eat 3.25 pounds of food a day. And you drink 2.9 quarts of liquids. You lose, wow, pounds of waste, okay? You speak 4,800 words, including some unnecessary ones. I don't know if that's true for everyone, but I hope you do. Um, you move 750 muscles, just that alone. On the average day, your body moves 750 muscles. Well, can you imagine if it was just like a couple of people on the worship team, the pastors, a couple of people in IT, and we we're trying to function? Let's just say there's 150 people in here, but only 20 people are, are actually doing the work of the Lord, are being the hands and feet of Jesus. We're going to be a dysfunctional body, right? We need everyone. And this isn't to, to heap condemnation or to heap shame, but really to invite you, because the Bible says that those that are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of our God. The, the church is the soil in which we plant our lives, and then we have no choice but to grow into fruition, grow into 
um, our destiny. And then your nails grow, your hair grows, your exercises. So this happens on um, the daily. And so is there anything you want to share in relation to that? No? No. What, what are some things that we can do um, to become, to, to be more active, to become, to, you know, like, so we hear this sometimes, this, this, like, ethereal language of, like, okay, there's a body, I understand what you're trying to say, but, like, how can I help? What could I possibly have to offer? What, what would you say to somebody that looks at themselves and, and struggles with the same things you do? I'm not good enough, or I'm not smart enough, or... Well, I think just recognizing the one who's called you yeah. and to live a life worthy of your calling and to and to be a servant. You know, ultimately, where our our life is to put him on display. And so to make sure that we were doing that in our day-to-day -day lives, whether it's, you know, loving my kids that day. God, and God calls us all to different realms of servanthood. You know, it could be loving my kids and doing the laundry, you know, but it could be making a meal for somebody who had a baby or... You know, it doesn't have to look like, what are we doing on Sunday? Because at the end of the day, you know, what we do on Sunday should translate into Monday, Tuesday, yep. Wednesday. This is this is an encouragement to yep. go forward into your week so that you can live live a Christ-centered life to display on the world, to the world. Um, it's good. So. Sometimes some of the most beautiful things that you can do is just reach out to somebody that's in the congregation and let them know that you're thinking about them. Or to let them know that you see something, a potential or a gifting on their life. We are all the product of the words that have been spoken over us, either positive or negative, uh, coaches, teachers, parents. And I think often we carry this idea of people, but then we never take the time to share it. And Paul says, man, this life is but a vapor. We're going to live for all of eternity. And we're going to look back on this, this vapor of time and say, man, I wish I would have went all in with Christ. You know, the Bible says there are tears at the judgment seat. I believe those tears are, when all things are revealed, we're going to be able to see, man, why didn't I trust you more? Why didn't I step out in obedience more? Why didn't I just simply help more? Did you want to share something on that? Um, I was just going to say, in Philippians, it talks about um, making his joy complete, the Lord's. And it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider your others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so I, in continuation of the question that you were asking, I think it's it's putting others' needs above your comfort level. Like, this is not my comfort level. <laughs> and But I know that, like, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm going to stand before Christ, and I want to know that I put him on display. And so I am willing to make this small sacrifice and so just I think that helps you get out of yourself yeah. no, that's that's so good and, and you know I think as Christians we have to become a little uncomfortable so that others can be comfortable and um, you know Jesus came not to be served but to serve and if you think about the moment before he's about to lose his life you know there's there's a question that circ circulates around on the internet, you know, like if you had 24 hours to live, what would you do and money wasn't a cost? I'd go to Paris or, you know, I'd eat this food or I'd go do this, I'd go do that. Well, Jesus knew it. he was going to die. And he chose to get down on his knees with a basin of water and to wash his disciples' feet. And you know what? Forget every wedding ceremony and every church service that you've ever been to. You guys shower, you wear socks, you wear shoes, you walk on paved roads. Okay, these guys had open-toed shoes, and they walked on the same roads that all the animal and livestock carried on. So they had animal excrement, dirt. They were dirty, and it stunk. 
You never take the time to think about that. And there were 12 sets of feet. And Jesus was down there. It wasn't like this quick little washing ceremony. It was like scrubbing. I bet Peter's feet were the worst, too. Dude. His feet were like, he was a fisherman. felt like fish guts all up on him and stuff. And like Jesus probably had to spend extra time with Peter. And I don't like feet anyway. I don't like feet. And so that would be really hard for me. I don't know if we're ever going to do a foot washing service here. But, but Jesus knew what he was going to do. Pray for me, man. And he got down on his hands and knees because it wasn't about him. He came to serve. And so that is, and you know, the Bible, there's, a, there's a saying that goes out there. Everybody wants to serve until they get treated like a servant. But Jesus was a servant leader. He turned leadership, the paradigm of leadership, upside down from a king of being at the top to being the least of these. And so I want to give you a few takeaways. And I know, Jess, you're going to have some things to add to this of like, what are some practical steps um, that I can take uh, to begin to uh, to build unity, to build unity in the church, to build unity at my place of employment, to build unity in my family, because sometimes family can be the hardest, right? We being real in here today? Amen. Okay, how can we build unity? How can we build those bridges with our family members? Number one is to pray for one another. It's hard to hate somebody or holding a fence towards somebody that you're praying for. But it's also hard to pray for somebody that you have an offense with. It's the last thing in the world that you feel like doing. But it's the thing that you need to do. And you see the life of Jesus. Jesus prayed on the mountain. He prayed in the desert. He prayed alone. He prayed with people. He prayed at night. He prayed in the morning. He prayed on a boat with a goat in the rain on a plane. <laughs> and what Jesus saw as essential, we can't dismiss as optional. Now, prayer changes things, but it also changes you. And it will change your heart. It will change the way that you see God. It will change the way that you see your brothers and sisters. And so I would say, if you want to build unity in your house, if you want to build unity in your family, if you want to build unity in your marriage, if you want to build unity in your relationships, begin to pray for those that are around you. Good. And remember, prayer isn't just this monologue where you just dump a list of things to-do list to God and say, get going on it. It's a dialogue. It's a conversation. That means there's times where you, you shut this thing right here and you open these things right here and you listen to what God has to share with you. It's awful quiet. Okay. Number two, what are some other things you can do? Love one another. John 13 says, you know, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples by the way you love one another. True love will always lead to true unity, not a fake unity. Not a projected unity, but a real, authentic unity. Well, and I was going to say that true love isn't necessarily a feeling that you have. You know, it's not like, I like this person. It's it's understanding that that's a commandment that God gave us, is to love one another. And so we love because he commanded us and he first loved us. And, you know, we don't have to like it, you know. Um, but I think that's important to know. Like, it's a choice. It's a choice you make. It's a decision that you make. Uh, not a feeling you have. Good. And also that unity isn't sameness. You know, it doesn't mean oh, that yeah. we all have the same... It's not conformity. Yeah, it's not It's not the same, you know, politics, the same, whatever, but it's recognizing who we serve, and that's and that's our uni unifier, is that it's Christ. That we all serve Christ, that we're all ambassadors of Christ, that we all are part of His kingdom, and that comes first. That trumps, you know, our politics, our race, our political beliefs, anything like that. It's just, it's whatever we think or we feel or 
Um, it's, it's unifying under that umbrella. Yeah, I believe it was the prophet Boston who said that love is more than a feeling. But that's so true that there's unity in, they won't let me on the worship team, so I gotta get in my... Yes, we will! Yeah, yeah, I gotta pick. Now I'm, now I'm held to that, actually. I don't know if I want to be in the... But um, there is unity in diversity, and that sounds like an oxymoron, but there is. Okay? Sometimes in our friend groups, in our relationship groups, we look for people that are like-minded, we look for people that are kind of like the same Enneagram, or that are wired like us, but when we gather at the table, it's just like we're talking to ourselves. And you know what you call somebody that talks to themselves? A nut job, right? So you need people that see the world differently than you. You need people that have different interests than you. It makes you a better human being. That's what the Bible means by iron sharpens iron. You know that that knife, when the knife comes in relationship with that stone, it's literally losing pieces of itself. There's a friction, that, but it's making it sharper. So there are some things that we need to get rid of, some of the lies that have been spoken over us, and we need people to point out our blind spots, so we need to do a better job of being in relationship with people that don't necessarily see the world the way that we see it. Now, Scripture is our true north. It's the foundation of our lives, as Jess was saying. So this is what we come in the, the unity of faith, the Bible says, that we are all unified in this, the core tenets of our faith, but to not be like, oh, you believe this one thing? Well, therefore, I'm cutting you out of my life, you know? Um, so that's important with unity and diversity. And um, I want to also share, okay, so one of the other things that you can do to, to grow in unity is to share one another's burdens. You know, the Bible says to rejoice with those who rejoice, but also to mourn with those who mourn or weep with those um, who weep. The church should be the best at championing, championing one another's lives. We should look for opportunities to open doors for our brothers and sisters. We should look for opportunities to encourage and to speak life and to fan into flame the gift that God has given people. The Bible literally says the power of life is in our tongue. And so often um, we keep things to ourselves. Because I get it. Everybody has a busy schedule, everybody has a million places to go, but we must be intentional uh, to carve out that time to be in relationship with our neighbors, with our coworkers, uh, with our, our, our kids, friends, parents, to get to know who they're around. You know, the Bible says to be salt and light. And if I had a, you know, salt preserves things, right? If I had a steak and I took all of my concentration of salt and I just put it right here, Okay, this part would be preserved and the rest would go rancid. What's that? That part would be salty. That part would be super Yeah, that's the problem when you get too many Christians together too, man. A little too salty up in this room. Um, we, need to, we need to spread out. Okay, we need to spread out so that we can preserve. So we, we need to scatter. That's why we don't believe and we don't ascribe to the idea of buying a bunch of gasoline and guns and running up to the mountains because we're supposed to be... You know, in the world, but not of the world. We're called to be ambassadors. We're called to be salt and light. Um, this is, and this is an interesting one. I would say the fourth one is letting go of the past. There's so many people that have come in contact with that are that are that are tethered to their past. Whether the good times, reliving them, the glory days, right, Bruce Springsteen, or glory days, Bruce Springsteen, right? That was him. Glory days. Can I remember that song? Anyway. Thank you. I've got my 80s crew over here, the Smiths. They, they're going to steer me straight. 
okay? Or they're, they're tethered to the wounds of their past, the offenses of their past, the hurts of their past. They haven't let go of those things, and God has called us to live in the present. We learn from the steps of our past so we can walk into a brighter future. But we must not be tethered um, to those things. Is there anything you want to say about letting go of the past? Just asking the Lord to excavate those things, those lies you believe, those walls you've put up that are preventing you from walking in the fullness, you know, and to just be obedient to surrender that. And so I kind of want to I want to put this thing in a bow on this and come to a close. And we're going to be talking about unity. We're going to be talking about unity and diversity. We're going to be talking about unity in the workplace. We're going to do a whole series on this. But I just wanted to get Jess up here to, to kickstart this whole thing and to talk about if this church is going to thrive, if even survive, it's going to require each and every single one of us um, to contribute. And again, I'm not saying you need to set up and you need to tear down, but us to connect with each other, not just to say hi on a Sunday morning, but to be willing to to do life alongside, to invite, to meet for coffee, to invite someone out for a game, or to watch football, and hopefully the Patriots win today. But we have to be willing to open up our lives to one another. And Paul says in Hebrews, in Hebrews 10, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, all the more, as you see the day drawing near. You know, I want to, let us consider how to stir up. Let's think, let us meditate. We don't spend a lot of time thinking. But let us think about and imagine and dream ways that we can connect with one another to encourage and to stir one another up. And in that, he also warns us, be careful to neglect, to not neglect meeting together. I think the reason that he had to share this is because human beings have a proclivity to say when things are hard, I'm just going to, I'm going to sit this one out. I'm going to stay at home. And you're playing into the enemy's plan, which is to isolate you from the herd. You saw all those, I think it was elk on that picture. You know, if there was a predator trying to get one of those elk, it couldn't come after the whole herd. But if it could, if it could sneak up and find one of those elk by itself, then it could overpower them. And I think sometimes, talking more about feelings, we don't feel like meeting, but that's the very time that we should. And it even warns us that when you neglect meeting together, it will quickly become a habit. So in other words, you'll get real comfortable not coming to church. You'll get real comfortable being alone and by yourself. And that is where the enemy can come in and wreak havoc in the darkness by deceiving you. And the problem with deception is you believe with all your heart you're right. You believe you're on the right path, but in reality you're wrong. And there's, no, there's nothing scarier than deception because you think that you're moving in the right direction. I don't know if you've ever talked to somebody and the truth is lingering right above their head but they're deceived, they can't see it. And that's a scary thing. And so Paul is saying, man, there's a danger that when you stop hanging out with each other, you can become um, deceived. And so, I, I guess I kinda wanna end there. If there's anything else you wanna share on that. Oh, I just had a, uh, Go ahead. Go ahead, read that. Um, I just, the question I wanted to like, or make you guys think about as you're going into the week is what small action steps can I take this week 
not just to be inspired on a Sunday, but to walk it out on Monday. What things have I allowed to define me that aren't true, and how can I walk in a greater level of service to display Christ this week? Take those questions to heart. Think about those questions. Ponder those questions. Meditate on those questions. That's how we grow. Honesty is the currency of growth. We have to be honest with ourselves. And if we're not growing in an area, that's not to shame you. It's just it's, it's to motivate you, to inspire you, to begin to take steps towards that. And we want to have an authentic community where somebody can share something that they're struggling with, like a thought or an idea. And it, so it doesn't turn into an impulse which turns into an action, which is why we see men and women fall in the body of Christ all the time because they're so busy trying to project this image that they have it all figured out when in reality they don't, right? We all know it, but they're projecting this image like they do, and then they become so isolated, no one really knows who they are, and then the enemy pounces on them, and they end up in bed with their secretary. They end up, you know doing lines of cocaine, drinking tequila in the, in, their, in the green room of their church or whatever, um, when if they were just honest and saying, I'm feeling really um, alone, or I'm struggling with anxiety, and then someone can sit down with them in Scripture and help them navigate and walk through that. And I just think, you know, when people come to you, to just make sure that you're open to that too, and being able to not judge and to be able to love, because I think, you know, even that, like, that might be a lie that they believed that they couldn't be honest, and, you know, or something that was, you know, handed down to them where it's like the church is like this, they're going to judge me, they're going to cast me out, you know. And so I think it's important that we we are modeling what Jesus wanted, which was empathy and compassion and coming alongside of us in that struggle. Absolutely. That's so good, baby. Well, I'm going to pray for each and every single one of you. And so I just want you to posture your hearts to receive this prayer um, that I'm going to pray. God, and then I will dismiss everyone in the room. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, for this amazing group of individuals. I pray, Father, that the words that we have shared have penetrated their heart. That, Holy Spirit, I'm believing that you've illuminated and showed them areas uh, in their life where they can begin to grow, where they can begin to reach out and extend an open hand of invitation to their coworkers, to their neighbors, to, to people that they sit next to in church. But I just pray that they would draw their family, the line of their family larger, um, and that you would give them the grace to be able to step out in this. I know some are very shy, some are very timid, but I just pray, Father, and I stand on your word that says, when we are weak, you are strong. And it goes on to say that your power actually works best in our weakness. So I pray for the courage and the mustard seed of faith to step out in their weakness and to open themselves up to be in relationship with those around them. And Lord, I know that where two or three are gathered, you are there. And so, Father, I thank you that this church will be unified. I pray you would show us ways that we can intentionally unify together. And I thank you that your word says where there is unity, you will command your blessing. God, we give you all the glory and all the praise because you are so worthy. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Just a reminder again, Growth Track is immediately in the theater adjacent to this one. Sign up for a small group on your way out. Until next time, Godspeed. Thank you so much for listening to Keep the Main Thing the Main Thing, a sermon resource provided by the Pines Church in Bangor, Maine. We'd love to hear from you, so leave us a review on this podcast. If you have any questions, visit thepineschurch.com. 
Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.